Howdy, this is Jim Rutt, and this is The Jim Rutt Show. This is a Currents episode. Currents are shorter and less heavily produced than our full-length episodes and generally focus on a single topic. As always, references to online resources that we discuss on the show are available on the episode page at jimrutshow.com. I'd also like to take a second to ask our listeners who haven't done so, if you like our show, please give us a five-star rating on your podcasting app. It's somewhat annoying, but it's a real fact of the podcasting ecosystem that lots of good ratings drive visibility on the podcast apps, which builds our audience. Our audience helps us continue to attract the amazingly good guests that we've been able to have on the show. So please take a minute when you're done listening today and give us a five-star rating. Thanks a lot. Today's guest is Ben Gertzel. He's actually been on the show, I think, twice before. And he is one of the world's authorities on artificial general intelligence. Indeed, he coined the expression. He is also the instigator-in-chief of the OpenCog AGI, Open Source Software Project, and SingularityNet, a decentralized network for developing and deploying AI services. Today, though, we're going to be talking about something entirely different, the need the potential, and maybe a bit about how to build true distributed social media. Welcome, Ben. Hey, thanks, Jim. It's a pleasure to be on the Jim Rutt Show uh, once more. It seems there, there's an endless succession of, uh, of pertinent things to, to powwow about. And the decentralized social media, like you, you and I have been talking about this for quite some time and each been thinking about it since long before we met each other. And now suddenly this is like percolating up into the uh, the working memory of the global brain, which is interesting to see. Yeah, it was funny. I was trying to remember how long I've been thinking about it. It's at least 35 years. Uh, so we'll get into that in a little bit. But I'll tell you something that you may not know. Uh, very timely. Little old me, Jim Rutt, good network citizen, got banned from Facebook <laughs> on Friday of of last week. Oh, congr- congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I look at it as a bit of a bad of badge of honor. Uh, even more ominously, yeah, I can be a little bit raucous on occasion, but I thought I'd been being fairly reasonable uh, since I got back on Facebook. I take a six-month sabbatical every uh, year, and this year I was off, as I always am, from July through the 1st of January. Got back on and engaged on a number of topics, but I thought, thought you know, well-behaved, wasn't involved in any first-class flame wars, et cetera. And I go, God damn it, why the hell they bounce me? Uh, and I thought maybe this would have been bad because I had been posting about free speech on the internet and my distaste for censorship by a bunch of peculiar oligarchs. But it turned out it was actually something more ominous than that. Uh, within an hour, I discovered that not only I, but the other two administrators of the Facebook Game B group uh, had been whacked simultaneously. <laughs> wow. And uh, it's, this is quite interesting, right? And those of you who know anything about the Game B group, Game B group on Facebook, uh, it is very theoretical. We don't allow the discussion of partisan politics. We don't talk about current events. Uh, we don't rabble rouse people to go invade the Capitol. You know, if we mention QAnon, it's only to dissect it as an example of a social virus. Uh, so, you know, hard to imagine 
uh, how game B, the Game B group, which frankly, if most people take a look at, it, they're going to say, hmm, this is interesting, but man, it's a little on the esoteric side here, a little on the intellectual side, yeah. uh, how we happen to fall into the target. And I have a hypothesis. Uh, I'd love to run this by you, actually. It, I don't know if it's true, but it fits the evidence pretty well. Uh, first, I'm assuming it was a deep learning-based bot of some sort. What's my evidence? For? I, would, I would guess. Yeah. 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 What's my evidence for that? I mean, what a weird thing to have done, to have whacked the three admins, but they didn't. Uh, they did not bounce the four moderators, which is the next level down of people involved in the, with, you know, godly powers to manage the group, nor did they delete the group. Uh, and the other weird thing was they gave all three of us uh, the death penalty version of the ban, the one that when you try to appeal says, this is not reviewable and cannot be reversed. Cannot. That is their words. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, again, kind of an odd thing for someone to do. Who, uh, If a human had looked at the Game B group, they might, you know, who knows, maybe they find some reason to give us a warning. I don't know what it would be, but it's hard to imagine they would just whack us uh, with a hard ban. But anyway, uh, we fortunately have friends and we whipped up a pretty large mob on Twitter, literally millions of people. We got a retweet by Joe Rogan and oh. various and sundry other folks. And uh, we also, fortunately, the Game B Network, several thousand people, uh, uh, knows people in Facebook. And at least four people uh, have told me that they put in uh, complaints to people they, they knew at various levels, and at least in a couple of cases, fairly high levels in Facebook, to at least get our case reviewed. And within 10 hours, it, it was uh, was reversed all of a sudden. And again, typical Kafka-esque Facebook. When they ban you, they don't tell you why. And when they put you back on, they don't even tell you you're back on. The way you find out is when a friend of yours emails you and says, oh, it looks like you're back on Facebook. <laughs> uh, so, you know, this is this is the whole story. Uh, and so anyway, anyway, so I believe it was an AI bot just because the fact pattern is so peculiar. It's hard to imagine even a rather dumb $15 an hour employee having done what yeah, happened. Another, another piece of evidence there is so Lincoln Cannon, a friend of mine who is the, the head of the Mormon Transhumanist Association and that, a fascinating character who you might want to have on your podcast. Sometime yeah, he and I have actually been in contact about this event. Oh, yeah. Well, Lincoln is really cool. But anyway, he was he was banned from Facebook like quite shortly after making a post that just contained a link to an article of mine on decentralized social media and like how, how, how bad big tech monopolization of social media is. So like he... Again, they don't explain why, but he he posted a link to that article and 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 got zoinked, right? And so that it looked like, again, like probably no human is going to be like that explicit if someone posts a link to a a sort of a think piece on decentralized social media to ban the guy, right? But uh, what 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 was their algorithm ac actually doing, right? So it's a yeah, yeah. So here's I have a I have a hypothesis, right? So I look at Game B, and I went back, and in fact, our whole uh, moderator and admin team got together Friday night, uh, and we're scratching our heads. All right, why did they get us? And, and then, uh, and I said, well, you know, I'm somewhat obstreperous, but uh, one of the two admins is like one of the most calm and reasonable, well-behaved net citizens you ever met in your life, and the fact that somebody would whack her, I go. 
what? It can't possibly have been anything to do with her. It had to have been something triggered by the group. So we went through the various posts in the group over the last couple of weeks. And we say, nothing there at all. But then I had this aha, which again, I won't swear this is the answer. Because yeah. as we, you and I both know, a, a, a AI bot trained on deep learning is opaque. There is no readout of its logic. It can't tell you why it does anything. It just does stuff. You know, famously, you can train a deep learning algorithm on 80,000 uh, dogs and cats, and it can quite reliably uh, tell a dog from a cat. But on the other hand, you can generate a static pattern, which it'll claim as a dog, right? These things are, uh, are strange and opaque and brittle. So uh, anyway, well, knowing that, I'm looking at what goes on in our group. And what we do that most people on Facebook don't do is we actually think. Uh, we uh, bring up new terms. We explore the meanings of things. We link things back in the history of philosophy. People dispute each other, but in very high-toned theoretical ways. But it's actual thought. Uh, what is mostly on Facebook, I'd call rubber stamps or simulated thought. Trump is a fascist. You know, uh, you know, Trump is our hero. You know, you know, QAnon is correct. QAnon is wrong. And then I started to sort of think about it. And I said, who else uh, puts together a linguistic and syntactical pattern that sort of looks like thought? And I realized it was QAnon, right? Uh, while they're, in my opinion, complete idiots and don't know what they're talking about at all and et cetera, uh, they are evolving this mythos in real time where they're arguing with them, themselves and each other about what it, uh, what it means, the, elaborating the theories, you know. And so if you're, and keep in mind, these deep learning algorithms, as, as you know, uh, know nothing about semantics. They know nothing about what you're actually talking about. All they are is pattern recognizers about the use of words, their frequencies, their uh, their unusualness, perhaps, et cetera. And I said, you know what they have done? Again, hypothesis is they have trained up, because uh, they've kicked a whole bunch of QAnon-related people up. They've trained up some bots on QAnon content and said, go kill stuff like this. And what they've accidentally done is built an, a bot to kill thought. Anything that has the uh, statistical <laughs> attributes of thought uh, will be raised uh, as bad. And in our case, raised all the way to the worst bad where you get a death penalty uh, banning that you can't appeal, allegedly, uh, you know, without any human intervention. So that's, uh, that's my theory. What do you think of that? I'm in. Sounds like a reasonable approximation of the truth, right? I mean, we can't know what their what their training data really was, but yeah, that it's uh, it rings true that like the the QAnon uh, conspiracy theory discussions have have a similar form to actual in-depth intellectual discussions right i i, I mean that and that's uh so i i i i could i could see how that how that might work but there there on the other hand lincoln being banned would suggest i don't know it, it would suggest some variation of that right because lincoln is very thoughtful but the particular post that seems to have seems to have triggered him getting banned was not very in depth, right? It, it was just like exactly, and I, and subsequently, I've discovered other what I would call thinkers about good things. Uh, 
Daniel Christian Wall and his regenerative uh, ecology. He's been banned like 24 times by Facebook. What the hell, right? Uh, he's a very innovative thinker trying to save the world through uh, local regenerative ecology-based agriculture. I mean, there sounds like a really bad thing, right? But somehow the AIs uh, have targeted him. And again, he's clearly a thinker. He's written books. Uh, uh, you know, He's the real deal. And this is really bad. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine how anything could really be uh, a whole lot worse at a high level. I mean, if humanity is going to save itself from the meta crisis it finds itself in, we have to be allowed to think outside of the tiny little box of the status quo. And if Facebook even inadvertently, and I don't believe they intentionally uh, went to the spin up a bot to kill thought, uh, but even if they inadvertently spin up a bot to kill thought, uh, and let it loose on the nets, and then don't do anything about it. Uh, you know, with uh, Facebook being the principal public square of our time, they will be downregulating thought and and basically reducing the discourse to rubber stamps and the most conventional dialogue. And in the current situation where the future of humanity is literally in the balance, I can't re imagine a more irresponsible thing to do. Yeah, it it seems like fascinatingly in a perverse way what what these big tech companies and facebook in particular are happening on is like the the exact opposite of what is needed for the the beneficial evolution of of humanity and the creation of a a positive singularity and all that good stuff right i mean what we what we really need specifically is i mean we we really need automated tools that help to sort of nurture and nourish the best of humanity and to sort of guide guide each of us toward a deeper self-understanding and, and, and toward, uh, you know, more reflective thinking and, and feeling rather than just uh, trivial reactions. And, and we need you know, tools that are guiding social groups toward, you know, processes of coming to mutual understanding and creative and uh, Im imaginative uh, treatment of, of, of uh, life, the universe and everything. And like what, what's happening is, is exactly the, exactly the opposite, right? Which is, a, is pretty funny and, and pretty scary. And it, it ties in with some, you know, deep aspects of artificial intelligence in, in, in the world today, right? Because, I mean, I've often thought that, you know, big tech, partly intentionally, partly inadvertently, you know, they're fostering the development of AI algorithms, methods, and paradigms that maximally exploit their own differential advantages, right? So, I mean, big tech companies just implicitly as well as explicitly, they're fostering development of AI algorithms that that leverage big data and leverage big processing and, and that give differential advantage to those who have a lot of data and a lot of processing power. And I mean, they're, they're doing that not entirely intentionally. I mean, they're doing that because they have the data and 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 processing power, so why not? And then they build they build APIs for their developers to use that leverage that data and processing power. And the result is 
that the parts of AI, the parts of the AI field that leverage that data and processing power best, you know, get a lot of oomph and a lot of development time, and they get very slick open source development frameworks. The aspects of AI that are a bit orthogonal to the this particular sorts of massive data and processing power are a bit left out in the cold. So one, one, it's partly a side effect and partly a direct effect, but one thing correlated with this is these deep learning and other methods that are weak on semantics and weak on what you would call real understanding and, uh, you know, are doing more shallow pattern recognition at a large scale. I mean, these are getting very sophisticated and the, and then that would go, it goes along with the, like potentially being unable to distinguish QAnon uh, bullshit from, uh, you know, game, game B uh, imaginative uh, exploration and, 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 and pontification. So, right. So the, the AI algorithm space exploration bias of big tech is sort of go, going along with their own actual political biases in a, in a, pretty freaky way right it's, it's a very interesting domains we're we're wandering into and much of this synergy happens like under the hood where the most people can't see it and can barely understand it even if they saw it yeah and then this is a key point that you bring up that uh you know because of the uh, co-evolution of tools from the academic world with their uh you know being wrapped in slick wrappers by people like Google and Facebook uh, and the access to vast data and vast computation, uh, almost, I, I assume, essentially all of these AI hunter killers are opaque uh, deep learning artifacts. And one of the side effects of that is one of the biggest complaints about Facebook and its bannings. They're entirely Kafka-esque. Yeah, yeah. They don't give you any reason at all. And, and here's and because they're using opaque AIs, they can't right. If this were an AI based on, let's say, symbolic uh, methods or probabilistic logic networks like uh, your OpenCog project, uh, they could actually read out in more or less readable English yeah. uh, what set of rules were triggered. I'd say it's it's not necessarily that they can't. It's that it's a lot more work to generate the explanation than to generate the judgment, yeah. right? Because, I mean, there, there's, of course, uh, flourishing and pretty cool research literature on generating, like, ex explanations from deep, deep neural models. And, there, I mean, that, that, that's a thing you can do, but it's, uh, it's a whole other area of research. It's, it's often harder, and it's, it's cheaper for them just to ban a bunch of people than to deal with generating explanations, right? So yeah, this uh, this stat pattern of static. We think it's a dog, so we're just gonna uh, call it a dog, right? Uh, and that's what uh, you know. Even well trained uh, neural nets do. They don't actually know anything. They just are, are a set of uh, yeah. kind of reflex arcs to uh, patterns, and mostly they get it right. Or if they're well done, they mostly get it right. But it seems in this case, uh, you know, they have right. and. The, from an AI system developer view, like the the degree of scalability infrastructure and the quality of the UI UX that you have 
with these big tech development tools is quite intimidating, right? And I mean, I mean that nudges people to continue with these sorts of methods instead of exploring methods that have more genuine understanding. So, I mean, what we're, as, as you mentioned in the intro, I've been working on the OpenCog AGI toolkit under that name since 2008, and some of the code have been working on much, much longer than that. So we're, I'm now engaged with a number of colleagues, mostly SingularityNet folks, a few others, and we're rebuilding OpenCog almost from scratch, at least the, the core the core representation of framework is, is, is being rebuilt, although much of the, you know, the AI rules and math and, and, and so on and some integration code will, will remain from the old version. So we're making a new version called OpenCog Hyperon. And, you know, this is, is aiming at turning the everything we learned from the legacy version of OpenCog into a system that genuinely is, is going to be capable of creating true human level AGI, which has always been our, our aspiration, right? And so, I mean, we're we're rebuilding the guts of OpenCog, like our weighted labeled hypergraph knowledge store into something that can run across a shitload of, of, of different machines and be massively scalable. We're making a new, a new programming language that should make it concise to express all the different learning and reasoning algorithms that, that, that we have. And another thing that we're thinking about is, you know, how to how to make greater usability so that not only is this more scalable and does it make it more tractable to integrate all our different learning and reasoning algorithms in an AGI-oriented way, but like we can we can pull in a broader developer community. And I know you you fought with the the legacy version of OpenCog and its usability issues yourself. I mean, years ago when you were playing with OpenCog to do some simple uh, game AI and simulation type stuff. And you know, that's, it's just hard when we come up with, you look at like the tensor board and all the cool tooling you get with the, with the tensor flow. I mean, that's uh, it's not as deep as the hardcore thinking we're doing about how do you make a programming language to bring machine reasoning and, and, and machine learning and episodic memory together and so on. But still, you know, there's hard work, there's hard thinking, there's a lot of engineering to go into making really usable toolkits and, and frameworks. And as a, as a sort of a upstart project, like we are with the OpenCog and SingularityNet, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that we're not totally impoverished, like, like we're paying some great developers to, to work on this. But I mean, we're, we're not at the level of a big tech company. And without that level of funding, like you, you never, you never will get to that level of usability for something at, with the complexity of a distributed AGI platform, which means that people will always need to have a little more skill or a little more time or work a little harder to use these tools that don't fit as perfectly into into big tech's uh, worldview and, and infrastructure, right? Now, of course, if OpenCog is just way smarter than the, than the tools that big tech is rolling out, which which I believe it, it, it will be once we're done with, with Hyperon, I mean, then that can, of course, that can override a modest usability deficit. But it's it's quite interesting the way all the different pieces of the ecosystem, which now includes the AI ecosystem, the AI research ecosystem, as well as the social media and big tech ecosystem, all these fit together in a way that enforces this oligopoly. And it, it even goes into academia, right? Because, I mean, if you're, if you're doing a PhD, 
I mean, you've got a certain number of years, you got to publish a certain number of papers, your career and livelihood depend on it. You're going to have some bias to do things that you can do more quickly. If it's an AI PhD that you can do more quickly and easily using really slick tools that, that are out there now, rather than something where you have to, you know, slog a little harder to use a more, uh, a more finicky op- open source tool set. So even research, which is not on the payroll of, of big tech, still various incentive structures align so that the whole world is doing things that reinforce this big tech uh, oligopoly. And and it's uh, it's pretty disturbing. And it's, you know, it's not a big shock to you or me who have been thinking about these dynamics for, for many for many decades. But we're at a juncture now where the rubber hits the road. And it's like, well, okay, we understand this. We've understood this a long time. Now more people are starting to understand this. How, what can you do to counteract this, you know, extremely destructive set of, of complex dynamics? And, you know, I've, I've been debating this with some of my friends in the software development world. They're like, well, the government should do something. The, 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 the government should put into place like a social network infrastructure so that commercial social networks are running on top of the government infrastructure. But I mean, the, I can't see how the government is going to grapple with things of this level of complexity and, and uh, di- di- dynamicness, right? The, the government can, can barely deal with delivering the mail anymore. So I, I mean, I think the open source community is there. The blockchain community is, is there various uh, social networks like Game B are arising to deal with these issues in, in spite of the obstacles posed by the by the oligopoly, right? But it's uh, so we can see ingredients needed to form a decentralized democratic sort of alternative to the this oligarchy are 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 there, but the crystallization of all these ingredients into a, a equally or more powerful alternative to what the big tech o- o- oligopoly is doing. I mean, it's a, it's going to be a quite interesting challenge for this uh, crystallization of real alternatives to happen. And it's important that this happen, right? Uh, you know, it's kind of strange because of some of the alignment, some of my progressive friends, and I consider myself in an odd way progressive, though sort of orthogonal to the team red, to team blue version of it. Uh, but I say, isn't it peculiar that you kind of uh, team blue progressives, at least, uh, are cheering on, giving essentially unlimited power to three or four very peculiar oligarchs, right? I mean, these are not normal people. Old Zuckerberg and his fascination with Augustus Caesar, uh, which we I talked about with uh, Stephen Levy when we did, uh, <laughs> you know, his, uh, yeah. uh, you know, about his book of all about Facebook. He spent five years with Zuckerberg talking to him, and he found out crazy stuff like his wife was rip shit when when they took their honeymoon to Italy. All Zuckerberg wanted to do was visit sites associated with Augustus Caesar and check out Zuckerberg's haircut sometime. Right? There's no doubt who he's channeling. In uh, the Google Twins, they're strange dudes too, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, Bezos. And they're, and they're, also, and they're also not running Google yeah, anymore. True. They still, they still control it behind the scenes if they wanted to. Uh, you know, Bezos, probably a little bit more normal in some ways, but, you know, a megalomaniac of transcendent proportions. And so you have these four people and, and their heirs and assigns uh, essentially making law 
for the most important public square in the world. Yeah, and I, I think in terms of the people, we have to understand like it would it would take a person with an extraordinary level of you know advanced consciousness and self awareness and emotional self control not to become some sort of a sociopathic narcissistic fuckhead i mean after after being in that sort of position of 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 power for 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 a period of time i mean you can't you can't rule out that that it it could happen i mean you could have someone ascend to that position and really use it with a high level of self-awareness and, and use it for broader good. And I mean, Jack Dorsey is, is more in that direction than, than, than these other larger, larger oligarchs, I would say. But I mean, but by, by, by and large, like a, a high, a high percentage of the time, I mean, being that role is going to screw with your psychology, just according to like power corrupts and, and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and then also the reverse, unfortunately, is that that kind of power attracts sociopaths. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because there's, I mean, many people could get, uh, you know, one tenth that wealthy and then step back and and pursue other things with their with their life, right? So I mean, that's clearly true. So yeah, yeah, the politics this is very funny because I mean, I am. I am very left wing. I, I mean, I'm an anarcho socialist. I, I was raised by Marxists. I'm not. I'm not really a Marxist in any sensible sense a, anymore. But I, clearly, clearly, I'm not alt right by by any stretch of the means. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a democratic socialist with a strong like libertarian streak, right? And, but many of my friends and family who are also on the left wing side, they're like, yeah, good. We banned Trump. That guy's a moron. I'm like, well, yeah, he, he certainly is a moron, but do like, do we want to be, do we want to be cheering like banning of social networks that big companies don't agree with? Like I, I, I probably have very few views in common with the average user of, of uh parlor, right? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm far from a, white supremacist and uh, i'm uh, i'm not xenophobic really in 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 any way and i'm i'm am generally generally in favor of uh progressive democrats and in if i had to put myself somewhere on us political spectrum but i mean the strong advocacy of free speech is one of the things i really really respect and admire about the us system compared to other other places in the world like that's that's one of the things U.S. has really, really gotten more right than other major countries, right? And so now to to be at risk of rolling that back in terms of our culture and our practical life, even even if not the legal system, I mean this uh, this this is is very bad. Like this is not good. Like I, you know, I I was in Hong Kong for nine years. I saw how things worked there, and in in mainland China where I spent a lot of time and that, you know, they've had amazing triumphs there, you know, 80% of the people to be lifted out of poverty in the last 30 years were, were in mainland China. So there's been great successes, but I mean, the, the fact that you don't have a way to go out there and say like this thing, the government doing is a piece of shit and is wrong. There's no tractable way to do that in mainland China. There's now no way to do that in Hong Kong. And you know, the fact that you can do that in U.S. is really, really, really important. Now, of course, you can still do that in U.S. without being put in jail. 
But if you're going to get deplatformed for doing that in in US, the practical route to doing that is is going away. And the, you know, Mar- Marxists always had the saying against the US system, like, yeah, yeah, there's a free press. Well, the press is press is only free to those who own one, right? And the internet made that much less true. Like the press really was free to others who did to those who didn't own own a printing press, right? And now now with big tech deplatforming people. Once again, the press is only free to those who own one, or who are at least on the same uh, page as, the, as, uh, as those who those who own them, right? And that's uh, that's extraordinarily negative development, which I, I would think everyone should be up in arms against. But but every everyone they're not, they're not. You and I both know. I mean, I uh, you yeah, know. It's, it's fucking in, insane. I mean, it, it's. That's almost as insane as Trump being elected president, right? I mean, it's a, we're in a really weird domain here. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's as fucked up. It's as fucked up. And, you know, talk about, you know, the deplatforming. People, oh, I saw you got knocked off of Facebook for half a day. So what? Well, let me make one thing very uh, clear here. Our group uh, was very lucky. and We were prepared, but we were lucky because we have pretty good sized mob of ourselves, maybe 20 or 30,000 people. Uh, and, and we know people, right? Uh, and we were able to spin up a Twitter shitstorm of fairly prodigious proportions almost immediately. 99.9% of Facebook users don't have either of those advantages. They get the AI-driven death penalty. They're done. They have no recourse. There's, well, there's no- also note at this point, Twitter is not yet as draconian, right? So, I mean, that that's not guaranteed to be the sense, the, the case a few, a few years from now, right? So now, Twitter shit's right in the future. Yeah, it's great. But that, that, I mean, that's because Jack Dorsey is not Mark Zuckerberg, right? But I, I, I mean, there's no guarantee there's going to be a, a, a Twitter a few years from now. I mean, I, 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 I certainly hope there is. Now, I mean, without that, maybe you could have, you know, gone to folks, you know, on Facebook and get your case reconsidered anyway but it's uh it the the odds the odds become more and more against those who are who are who are uh are arousing the ire of the establishment's uh moronic deep learning models or in, the, in our case uh you know i think if zuckerberg looked at the game b group he'd say this is great this is just what i built facebook for but the uh, machines that he has created for other purposes that are very very flawed that are raging war on thought, and with, for most people, no recourse. Uh, amazing number of stories I got. I put a request out on Twitter for stories of people that had gotten fucked and with no explanation from Facebook for nothing they could understand. And that's where I met Lincoln, actually. But I got numbers of stories about Carpenter, uh, who had a goodly part of his business up on his Facebook page, whacked for no apparent reason. Uh, substantial uh, hit to his business, which months later, he's still trying to rebuild. Uh, you know, people who I had, uh, and this is, of course, was the original use case for Facebook. In fact, one of the three admins that got whacked, she said, you know, it's the main thing I use to talk to my extended family, right? Holy shit. You know, this is really suck. This really sucks. Uh, and so there's all this collateral damage from being kicked off what should be uh, a stable and reliable piece of uh, common carrier infrastructure, uh, but it's not. It's this weird thing run by these, they're not incompetent. Zuck's a smart dude, no doubt about it. Uh, but he's under all these pressures, which he has succumbed to. For a while, he was fighting the good fight on free speech. I remember his speech at Georgetown University. I said, damn, the boy actually believes in free speech. Uh, but 
unfortunately, the relentless pressure uh, for, of the uh, enemies of free speech, which has gotten nothing but stronger over, over the last year or so. I think it's, it's partly because the issue is structural, right? I mean, I mean they are the big tech companies are really in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation to a certain extent. And I mean, the, the way the way out of that may involve some uh, non-local uh, leaps away from what, what they're doing now. Because I mean, I, I, can see, yeah, exactly. I can see the way they're thinking. Like if, if we, okay, certainly we should ban people colluding to go murder someone and like which window to climb through before they behead him. That's clear. And that's illegal. So that's fine. But, you know, then do you ban people saying stuff that statistically often leads to actual plans to kill people? Right. And I mean, then once you go there, then you're banning stuff that's not illegal, but it's like statistically correlated with illegal things. And I mean, then, then, you're in a very bad situation where, I mean, the the laws of the country rightly don't go, right? But if you if you don't go there, then, okay, your platform is, is going to be used at some point by statistics for some people to, in early stages of plotting something that then becomes a nasty crime, and then, then social justice warriors and a lot of others will jump all over you and, and, and say, well, this was used for the early stages of plotting this bad thing. And then, and then, then, then something bad will happen. So you, you worry, worry about that. On the other hand, if you start banning too much, then, then you'll get, you know, lynched in the court of public opinion for, for banning too much. So it's a very hard line they're walking, which is certainly not why any of these guys got into the business they're in. Right. Like, uh, I mean, Zuckerberg didn't launch Facebook because he wanted to, to play like the, the sensitive role of, of being a being a cop of like which which public assemblies are legit and, and, and which and which aren't, but I mean the there there's no I don't see any good way out of that just by making more artful policies or by making some like uh, ethics committee or something right I mean this is where I think you just you need the whole tech stack of social media to be organized in a different way. Exactly. And in, in, in coordination with that, you need the various, uh, you know, social patterns and, and organizations and networks associated with that tech stack to be organized in a in in a in a different way. And I've been I've been I've been discussing recently, and I had a an online sort of podcast interview with uh, Charles Hoskinson of of IOHK and Cardano Blockchain about this quite recently, where I mean, Cardano is aiming to provide sort of the blockchain infrastructure for a decentralized social media tech stack. Singularity Net, on which OpenCog we've been discussing, will be one source of AI running on Singularity Net, but we can also run neural models and all sorts of other things. I mean, Singularity Net is well suited to serve as as the sort of uh, decentralized democratic AI infrastructure of decentralized social networks. But there's there's a lot of other pieces you need there. And you, it comes down to like mobile phone operating systems even. Because, I mean, we're seeing banning at the level of Apple App Store and Google Play Store, right? So then you're like, well, shit, we need, we need, a, we need a mobile phone OS that isn't, isn't controlled by some oligopolistic company that's going to ban your app for, for having un, un, unpopular views, which is, 
It's not infeasible. I mean, Huawei, when when U.S. government started screwing with them, I mean, Huawei started building their own mobile OS on the open source, on the truly open source portions of Android, which is much easier than building your own mobile OS from scratch. So, I mean, all, every, all of it, all of it is doable, but there's a lot of pieces that have to be done and they all have to work together. And it all takes, you know, a lot of uh, highly trained people to put in significant number of man years to build, build an alternative here. And it's not clear where the funding for all that will come from and not clear that it can get done without substantial funding just by, by volunteer efforts. Although, although I did see an article today that, 30 to 40% of tech employees admit in a survey to be working three or four hours a day now that they're working from home. So there, there may be a lot of latent developer time that could be used for this stuff. Right? I love it. I love it. You know, but actually, there are people working on Linux-based phone operating systems, about 10, 10 projects going on. I'm keeping an eye on them because it, it wants to- Yeah, I, 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 used, I used an Ubuntu touch phone once. It's just so slow and the ties in from Samsung really sucks. So, I mean, yeah, I- I would love for one of those to come about because, I mean, Android is such a horrible architecture. On, on the other hand, if I was trying to roll out like a, a free and liberated smartphone OS as quickly as possible, I would probably end up doing what Huawei did and just take like the open ver- portions of Android and put other stuff on it because that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's there, right? But I mean, yeah, I mean, Android Android is bad. But if you think about it, if you had a free version of Android, you could run Docker containers on Android, and then then you could run OpenCog on Android. You could you could run whatever you want in Docker because there's, I, I've run Docker on a rooted Android phone, right? There's no reason you can't run Docker on an Android phone, which lets you then run any Linux software on Android. It's just not allowed by Google because they don't want the competition. Interesting, yeah, and you know we're actually tracking it because we believe at some point we're going to come out with a Game B phone. Uh, and it will have all kinds of interesting aspects. Like, you know, for instance, it'll actually be hard to add new apps. You'll need permission from your own social network so that people don't make bad decisions, for instance. Or let's put it this way, that you could enable that function. You don't have to have it. But one of the uh, affordances of the phone would be we know people are addicted to apps. Uh, we know that people, you know, waste huge amounts of time. You know, uh, phones seem to be more addicting than alcohol, somewhat less addicting than nicotine, more or less at the level of heroin level of addiction. And so building some features into the phone that people can opt into uh, to help them control their pathological addiction to these goddamn things would be part of a Game B phone. Yeah, I mean, this sort of comes down to the the need for a, a decentralized reputation system, right, which is something reputation and rating systems is something we worked on a lot in singularity net and did a lot of simulation modeling and prototyping we haven't yet rolled out into the main net of singularity net just because you need more traction i mean you need more utilization to get the statistics to drive high quality reputation and rating system but i mean that's that's key to many aspects of what needs to be done because i mean if if you're not going to have some oligarchs in control but you're going to have a more, you know, democratic decentralized control mechanism. I mean, then you need to be using, using the internet smartly. You need to be using decentralized networks smartly, and you need well-designed rating and reputation systems. And I mean, having having a a group of folks who you trust, you know, provide rating and and validation and and filtering of of apps is is one 
simple and and uh, interesting ex- ex- example of that, right? I think we need we need that on a bunch of different layers. And again, you know, the math is there for that. Software prototypes are are, are there for that. Like none of none of it is. Uh, None of it requires like humongous research breakthroughs or something, but there's, there's, I can say every, everything you would need for, you know, large scale decentralized democratic social networks that foster positive individual and collective human growth and imagination and honesty and evidence grounding of claims. Like it's the tools for that are all there at some level of maturity, like in the form of research papers or prototypes or alpha version software or something. But I mean, get getting from that to systems that are deployed and that run at large scale in a cost efficient way with the usability that will get average people to use it. There is a lot of, a lot of work there. And uh, again, it's not yet clear to me how all that work gets done. Right. I mean, cause the, the whole ecosystem we have for funding technology development is based on control of this small number of big tech companies. I mean, startups funded by VCs, VCs get preferred shares, VCs control things, VCs want the company to get an acquisition exit to one of these small number of big tech companies. And I mean, that's all, everything is feeding into the oligarchy because it's good to be the king right and so you you need you need to break the organization and the direction of resources of various sorts to technology development projects you need to break that out of the big tech oligarchy just like you need to break ai r&d including academic r&d out of its subservience to the big tech oligarchy's control of uh, of who works on what like all, all this all this needs to be opened up in order to build the tools for opening up every everything else, but yet it, it all it all recurses, right? Because the the discussion groups for AI developers and startups are on these same big tech control platforms. Yeah, though, well, this may be starting to change. We're starting to see some uh, some breakage. You know, the uh, growth in the usage of Telegram and Signal has gone off the charts, uh, and, uh, and I'm sure this will continue. Telegram, which is controlled by Russian government, right? So um, I don't use Telegram. I use Signal, people. I use Signal. Uh, and in fact, one of the things we learned uh, that we were so stupid, I should have known better, and some of the other people should have known better. We had no redu- We had some other homes for Game B on uh, Reddit and MeWe, and disc- we had a Discord server, but we didn't really have a centralized uh, way to get a hold of people consistently. So we're, we've now set up a, a Signal. Uh, group uh, for the admins, and we'll soon be adding a signal group for the uh, members uh, to be able to at least register a home that we can get an alert message out to you should the assholes at Facebook actually take us down. Yeah, although if, if you look recently, there's been some apparently a dissension within the ranks at, at Signal between people who want to want to take it in a little more of, of, a, of a sort of a moderation friendly direction versus people who, who want to leave it to uh, wild, wild west so that yeah and that, that one if we do that we're even deeper but anyway uh, uh this is some of the thinking that we've been doing here just in the last few days based on reaction to this you know sort of bumbling effort to mess with us i can announce for the first time uh that we are going to be building the game b home off of facebook soon 
Fortunately, just, just for shits and grins, I actually built one in early December. I'd been looking at white label platforms for a year. And I finally found one that was good enough. And I spent like three days, you know, pretty and you know, powder and paint till it kind of looked like uh, what we wanted it to. And I learned how it worked. And so it was just sitting there. And when this event occurred, we have been mobilizing. We already have, uh, you know, a reasonable number of test users over there. We're going to up that into three figures uh, by the end of the week and probably four figures. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I remember a number of years ago, you and uh, some of our mutual friends were working on something with the same goal, which I guess didn't get deployed, right? I mean, you, you had... Yeah, it was too, in those days, I mean, we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, we basically took a fork of uh, twi of Twitter's, no, Reddit's source code. Yeah. Uh, in, the old, in the old day, Reddit source code was open source. We took it, we had a bunch of enhancements, but that was hard work. We spent, I don't know, $300,000, six months work. Wow. Uh, and... Uh, and it was okay, but it wasn't, frankly, good enough for a mass audience, so we shot it. Uh, this one, and again, this is how the world changes. Uh, it's a, a beautiful white-label uh, white platform, very cost-effective. The world has just gotten – the barriers to uh, doing this is – So what, what's, uh, what, what's, what's the underlying platform, then? Uh, it's, I'm not going to say, cause I'm not sure okay. I want them to get the heat, uh, at this point in time. We'll talk about it later, but it's, uh, I've looked at 20. This is one of the leading ones. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we will, uh, we'll be rolling that out here relatively soon, assuming it gets through these multiple layers of test, uh, which I would say so far looks pretty strong. Uh, but as part of that, I also did a quick scan of what the things you're talking about, the true distributed web technologies. It turns out a good friend of mine is very much involved with the Beaker Browser uh, project, which uses its own peer-to-peer -peer, uh, protocol, not regular old HTML, HTTP. Cool. I looked at some of the some of the other projects that are uh, you know various other forms of D-Web. And this is back to what we were talking about initially, that, you know, I've been following this for at least 35 years. And as you intimated where the real weakness is, is that when you go distributed, uh, particularly if you go radically distributed and peer to peer, it's really difficult and expensive to build the UI and functionality that regular users expect. And you know, I've never seen those curves cross. Now, it is true that with much, much more bandwidth than we used to have back in 1985 and uh, much more computation than we had in 1995, uh, there may be some solutions to this, but there are some hard problems, right? Uh, even on some you know high granularity platforms like Mastodon, which is kind of a distributed Twitter, more or less, yeah. trying to search across them is a non-starter, right? Uh, trying to discover people is difficult. Uh, so the coordination problem uh, is is fundamental. I mean, like, you know, the work thinking we've done about how to build a distributed uh, open cog make clear that there is no fundamental uh, magic answer to the problem of the distributed computation, and so uh, and it's all trade offs. So this, you know, solving distributed computation so that you can build a product at scale that has the features people want in a UI they're willing to use is a non-trivial undertaking. I think we could do that. We could do that now. And we couldn't do it five years ago. Like the, this software frameworks are, are more advanced. The phones everyone has have, have way more processing power and memory in them. Like yeah. It will be fun, but no one's done no, it. We, I mean, we have another little 
sort of spinoff or incubating in SingularityNet, which is called NewNet, which is precisely aimed at like decentralized sharing and coordination of, of processing power. So we've been looking into that into that space and what what frameworks there are. And I mean, and there's there's also very good work on decentralized distributed training of of neural models. And you know, we 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 ran OpenCog on the on the Atom processor on Raspberry Pi three now. So I mean, we can we're seeing a convergence between the software frameworks getting more and more distribution friendly and and the uh, just edge hardware getting better and better. So I mean, I, I think that's doable now. Whereas when I first started toying with that stuff in like the year two thousand. I just decided like there's there's no way we're gonna get this to work. So but it's still it's still hard, right? I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of engineering to be done and there's a lot of uh UIX and just a lot of design thinking on various levels to be done. And uh you know, there's organizations very interested in this now. There's your game B group, there's Singularity Net and, and our community, uh Cardano and that community, which is uh, is a bit a bit uh, wealthier, at least proximally, is 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 looking in the same direction. So there there's a whole whole bunch of groups that are going in this direction, but it's uh, still definitely is a David versus Goliath thing compared to these uh, trillion dollar uh, big tech companies, which are increasingly allied with government. Yeah, well, and or they're uh, even worse, becoming their own government, right? Because, uh, uh, you know, they put place themselves in opposition probably to the idiocy of Trumpism, which in the short term is good. But as we talked about earlier, you know, uh, people who cheer kicking off Trump, yeah, tactically, probably okay. But what kind of precedent is that, right? Well, there's, there's some subtlety there because the, the cooperation between big tech and uh intelligence agencies didn't go away in spite of them being uh, adversarial to the commander in chief right so there, there there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, subtle connections here that probably we don't have time to go into but uh, all, all, that's true yeah all 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 in all uh, i mean it's david versus goliath but on the other hand a lot of things in the tech industry have been that way in the previous decades, and I mean, sometimes David, David wins, right? I mean, the yeah. music industry was massively dis, disintermediated, and I mean, uh, mo- mobile and PCs and all this were upstart industries that, that disrupted huge uh, entrenched industries run by by mega corporations. So, I mean, yeah, I remember the killing of Digital Equipment Corporation, right? That was the number two computer company in the world, well, probably the most innovative. And they made some wrong decisions about the PC, and they literally went away, bought for scrap by Compaq somewhere along. Yeah, so it's all, all these things have been about, in, in the end, they've all been about social network effects triggered by, I mean, genuinely new and in some in important respects, superior functionalities, right? I mean, even... Even when the new functionalities were inferior to the old ones, in in some way they were superior in ways that allowed, you know, network effects to get triggered to cause new ways of doing things to spread, and of course that's that's to do partly about attitude and and sentiment as well as about the tech. So 
one wonders if, you know, the deep platforming that's occurring now and the attention that's being brought to the excessive power of these big tech oligarchs, like, it, could this could this be sort of the, the Rubicon moment that, that allows, you know, the network effects to start growing for, for decentralized alternatives. And I'm, 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 re- I'm really hoping so. Cause I, I think this is, it's not only important for our everyday lives. If you believe as I do that Kurzweil was right. And like say 2029 is a reasonable time for human level AGI. Right. I mean, then we're talking about like what, what sort of collective human thinking is going into like feeding and forming the mind of this first human level AGI. We're talking, we're talking about that, which is a even more important thing that than than shaping the twisted lives of all, all of us humans on the planet right now. And get us to buy shit we don't need, which is currently what the purpose of Facebook actually is. And certainly yeah. this, uh, this would be much bigger. But yeah, let me address this. This is very actually important. I've thought about it a lot over the years because you're right. The, all you need is a, uh, a network effect community that's big enough. Uh, one that, that, you know, that really stands out in the history of personal computing was the original Macintosh was not good for much except for one thing. It was clearly superior to any other device for uh, creating, editing, uh, producing media. And so uh, the Mac became the, the darling of the photographer first and then the videographer and the digital artist, et cetera. And those were big enough uh, ecosystems to cre- you know, for interesting products to emerge like Photoshop, which was originally Mac only and uh, numerous other uh, interesting things. And then that critical mass network was just big enough uh, to allow Mac to survive. Though people forget how close they came to shutting the Mac down around 1994 or five uh, when its market share was uh, trivial, but yeah. somehow it got through the keyhole and came back to life. So it, you know, it, uh, it had a big enough, those, those relatively concentrated uh, market. Now here's a problem with alt uh, alternative distributed um, uh, social media. And we're going to, we're going to be very clear about this in game B is that because of the current political dynamics, they have a tendency to attract douchebags, fucking Nazis, race, racists, you know, yeah. crap a little like that. You know, uh, parlor, for instance, I, I kept an eye on parlor. I logged on once a week. So it was going on. Parlor was not designed to be a Nazi troublemaker platform. It was basically a relatively clever mm-hmm. business play to appeal to the Fox News type audience. Uh, it had a different advertising model. It basically highlighted the big names, quote unquote, in uh, uh, Fox News-ish and its equivalents in the, on the conservative side. And that most people followed, you know, what uh, Nunes had to say or Cruz or uh, you know, Hannity or one of these clowns, right? Uh, and, but on the other hand, like a lot of these platforms, they had the ability to create groups and whatever. And uh, so even though it was not created to be a uh, a dirty platform, in fact, it was intended to be quite commercial and kind of Fox News-ish, uh, because of the pressure uh, these folks felt on the mainstream platforms, they felt like they needed a home and they thought Parlor might be more accommodating. And so they hid away in the corners of uh, Parlor and did their thing. And it, uh, you see what it did to Parlor. Uh, so at least in the early stages, I would recommend people 
build, uh, and I think it's legitimate when you're small, uh, to have uh, social norms, period. Now, I think it's more problematic if you're big. And I think the I have a number I've come up with, 5 million. If you have 5 million or, or, or more unique visitors per month, Perhaps you should be government regulated for no no uh, uh, discrimination based on viewpoint. Uh, maybe you can you should be able to discriminate on cuss words, for instance. You can say you can't use the seven dirty words. I wouldn't go on that kind of fucking platform, but uh, it strikes me that's legitimate or no nudity or whatever you want, as long as it's not viewpoint uh, discriminatory. But for smaller platforms, they should and, and build their own local community norms that could be very specialized, right? Uh, you know, the Game B uh, community was infiltrated by a small number of members of a, a anti-Semitic and racist organization last year, and we discovered it in May and early June. We expelled them and we put out a notice, you know, no, you know, no racist douchebaggery in Game B, period, right? And we'll stick with that. And so uh, in this current political context, people that are experimenting in these domains, I would suggest uh, build local social norms uh, to keep, uh, you know, what what the community considers bad actors off. I mean, you know, if, you know, if those bad actors don't consider themselves bad actors, which of course they never do, they can go build their own things over in the corner someplace and uh, not pollute other people's efforts. I think that's going to be real important. And uh, we're certainly going to keep a, an even tighter eye on that on uh uh, the Game B group once we get on our own home. And I would uh, suggest that when you're thinking about uh, your efforts around Singularity Net and other things that at least for the interim, one's got to, one has got to build local customary norms and enforce them. Yeah. I mean, that I think this, this brings us back to the sort of rearrangement of the tech stack underlying social media, right? So, I mean, SingularityNet is sort of a meta-platform. Cardano is a meta-platform. And when you're at, at that layer, you're just building tools that could be used to create a whole bunch of different social networks. So, I mean, the, the way you'd like to see the tech stack work is, like, for, for a handful of, uh, you know, genius young coders from somewhere to create the next Facebook, shouldn't you shouldn't have to write all the code that Facebook has had to write, right? It should be a lighter weight, application running running on a bunch of uh, of decentralized uh, soft software layers so that then you, you could have a whole bunch of smaller social networks which have have uh, you know high quality in terms of use usability and efficient distributed processing and and AI but yeah they can be they can be for a smaller community with the, with their own uh, their own criteria and it's not it's not clear if in a world like this you actually have to get to a monolithic social network like a Facebook or, or, or Twitter. I mean, may, maybe you do or or maybe you don't, right? Because, I mean, if you have the basic protocol for messaging and the protocols for AI and reputation exist on a lower level of the tech stack, and if, say, your own personal profile and your own history of what you've done is is owned by you and the ai models of yourself are, are owned by you and are represented in a way that's largely independent of the specific social network group i mean maybe maybe then more stuff is living at these lower layers of the stack and you you don't actually you, you don't need very much of the activity to be in these these generic uh 
humongous networks like like a Facebook or, or a Twitter. I mean, we we don't know we don't know how that's going to evolve. It'll be interesting to see. And it will be interesting because, again, uh, you know, you and I have been doing this a long time. We know that in the long term, uh, generic solutions will often beat specialized solutions. Uh, you know, again and again and again, I've looked at business plans for, you know, I, I look quite carefully at a business plan to build genetic uh, uh, screening algorithms on FPGAs, for instance, and it was a viable business for a while, but it then turned out that the generic uh, uh, Linux servers got cheap enough, scalable enough, et cetera, that most people moved away from those. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't invest in that company because while it had a short, short flurry, it eventually went bust. Uh, maybe if the people that are working on low-level protocols uh, and ways to you know, have deep infrastructure for building a distributed world of things like social media. And actually, social media, I think, is a bad label for all this stuff, sure. right? Uh, but whatever this stuff is, that we need a better label for it. If that low-level uh, protocols get out there and, and, and operate at kind of the level of HTTP, HTML, uh, where it becomes foolish not to use the standard, uh, then the possibilities of dethroning, uh, you know, the specialty monoliths, the Facebooks and the the Twitters and uh, you know the Reddits, etc., could be quite real. Uh, and I think you know something you mentioned in your uh, in your essay is that uh, Twitter, at least, is taking that seriously and has put the, the team together looking at uh, open source distributed uh, social media. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's. That's really interesting on their part, and I think uh, they're quite sincere about that. And uh, Jack Dorsey may be thinking about all this roughly the same way that you and I are even. The, it's an interesting question how far Twitter can go in that direction sort of, and remain sort of harmonious with their imperative to maximize their own shareholder value, like given, given where they are now. I mean, so it's... Uh, it doesn't seem impossible on, on the face of it, but it, certainly it, you face complexities that are, aren't faced by doing it doing it from scratch, right? I mean, it's 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 rare, but not unprecedented for a company to keep flourishing like through through a couple different eras of a of of a of the technology ecosystem, as, as like you know. IBM kept going from the mainframe era through the PC era and is still doing stuff. A lot of the mainframe companies did, right? Exactly. So it's, it will be interesting. And of course, on the flip side is the famous network effect, uh, you know, some variant on Metcalfe's law who uh, defined uh, that the value of a network is the square of the number of participants on it. I don't believe it's the square, but I do believe it's an exponent greater than one. Uh, so let's say it's, uh, you know, Jeffrey West's uh, super, uh, super linear scaling of 1.15. You know, that's enough to give right. people like Facebook a uh, tremendous free benefit of the network effect and, uh, you know, is a barrier to other people building their things. On the other hand, uh, on, uh, when, you, when you're looking at smaller communities, it's much less of a barrier. It, when you run, run the exponential on a small community, in absolute terms, their, their benefit is, is much smaller. And we can actually capture most of that just doing it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. Going to be interesting. What do you see? Where do you see AI's role in this? Well, you know, we've talked about this just a little bit on a phone call not too long ago. That well, it is, it's well worth noting that 
I mean, Google has long considered itself an AI company. And I mean, Facebook's uh, Facebook AI Research Lab is extremely strong AI R&D group, right? So, I mean, these, the big social media companies and sort of internet information companies, they, they know that their that AI is absolutely critical to their, to their business. And that, you know, the, the success of their AI algorithms has an extremely direct impact on, on how much money they're making and, and, and how, how competitive they are. Right. And so, I mean, I think, that same the the same things that underlie that have big implications for decentralized social media and i think without a substantial ai component it's not just that it's harder to make money on social networks i mean it's harder to provide people with the type of experience that they want even if you set aside the uh, advertisements i mean i i found that myself with uh with news reading, right? Like, so I mean, I mean, I've used Google News to read news, among others, among other sources that I, like traditional magazines and newspapers. But if I, so I get pissed off at Google News all the time because there's certain there's certain things that shows me that I never want to read and never read. I don't understand why it keeps throwing that throwing that garbage. It's surprisingly sucky. Oh, the, but, but the point I was coming to though is. If I'm not logged in as myself to a, a phone or a, a browser or something, and I go on Google News, I'm distressed by how much worse is the stuff that I see. Like it's like, what? How is there so much stupid, boring stuff out there that I, I, I wasn't aware of? Right. So, however weird and flawed their customization is, it is it is good compared to like their default stream of news aggregate from 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 various sources. But it's not that good, right? It, it's very, it's very clear how, with deployment of like vanilla transformer neural nets and information retrieval software, like you can do a way better job of of customizing a, a newsfeed for me because it's habitually throwing garbage at me that I never click on and have no interest in, and on the same themes over and over again. That's a, I mean, with a. YouTube was similar. Like I, when I lived in Hong Kong, where I lived for nine years until relocating back to the U.S. in mid last year, I, I mean, over and over, YouTube gives me ads in Cantonese. It's like I don't know Cantonese. Why Google should, in fact, know that I don't know Cantonese. They know a lot about me, right? But so I mean, you you can see that ads are one thing, but even just customization of content is very important. And there, there is too much garbage out there, and too much good stuff out there for any of us to to filter through on our own. Like we, we want and need AI to be directing us to valuable stuff, given the volume of stuff out there. Because otherwise, it's hard to break out of the of the bubble of the people you know and and things that, that you know to go to. But I mean, you don't want that AI to be controlled by some big company in an opaque way, because like the the same AI perversion that led to you and the Game B colleagues getting briefly banned from Facebook, which could have led to you being banned for a long time from Facebook if you hadn't known how to work the system. I mean, that same mix of intelligence and stupidity is being used to recommend to me what news articles to read. It is being used to recommend to me like which people are recommended for me to link to on, on LinkedIn or Twitter. And it is being used 
you know, even within Google to recommend what, what research papers I see from Archive when, when, I, when I type in a, a search query, right? So the, the same mix of intelligence and stupidity is being used to guide what we see. But yet, you know, I, I try to use DuckDuckGo whenever I can. On the other hand, it's not as smart as, as Google search. And if, if I'm looking for research papers on some topic, eventually I'll go from DuckDuckGo back to Google a lot because DuckDuckGo won't find the stuff. Google will find more valuable stuff, but it, within a shorter amount of time. But what biases is it baking in? Which of these biases are as stupid in their own way as Facebook's algorithm that banned you, right? So, I mean, you, we do need AI to sift through everything, but we want that AI to be on our side. We want the AI to be at least trying to be transparent and explainable. We want the AI to be biased in a way that benefits ourselves and our growth and our, our own, you know, expansion of consciousness and that benefits the social groups that, that we want it to, to benefit. I mean, I think down the road, what we need, you know, you need an AI personal assistant that's like Alexa or Google assistant, but with more actual understanding and which serves you rather than the big company that in a quasi free way supplies it to you. And that helps you, sift through all the information out there in a way that works toward your own, your own goals. And, you know, again, you know, we're, we're working on that in our own way with an open cog project, like with a, we're working with Hanson robotics on something called uh, grace, which is like Sophia robots, little sister. So this is aimed at elder care. This is an elder care, elder care robot. And I think that can be big on its own. That's through a joint venture. Uh, called Awakening Health between Singularity Studio and Hanson Robotics. But I mean, part of what we're doing there, we're also working on OpenCog-based natural language dialogue and trying to get that as, as, as good as possible and integrate with reasoning and understanding. And part of the medium-term game there is to make something like Alexa or, or Google Assistant that's actually intelligent and understand what's going on and, the, and that serves you, right? So, I mean, the profile of you that your virtual assistant is using should be stored in a secure, you know, data wallet, which is secure with your private keys and blockchain tools can be used to give you like intentional agency over what that data is, is, is used for. I mean, what our, what our mutual friend Trent McConaughey has done with ocean protocol can play in there in terms of like online blockchain based data management. Right. So, I mean, a, AI is also critical to the reputation system aspect that we discussed about. I mean, reputation management in itself isn't such a hardcore AI, AI problem. I mean, that's some fairly simple math in, in terms of rating things and rating people's ratings and rating, rating people regarding the quality of the ratings in different dimensions. But I mean, when you have a reputation system, you're going to have reputation fraud and you need machine learning based reputation police to try to crush the the reputation fraud, and then you need that to be based on open source code, which is uh, is you know audited and which is is automatically checked by 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 AI, AI tools, so that so that uh, you know the reputation fraud policing doesn't turn into into thought policing, right? So there's there's a bunch of layers where you need AI within this ecosystem, which need to be open source and distributed, decentralized itself which uh 
brings up a bunch of hard computer science problems. But again, I mean, I guess I have a high bar for what's a hard computer science problem. But none of this is as hard as building like AGI using OpenCog Hyperon, right? Like, I mean, this is all this is all stuff that you can solve using technology that currently works in various prototype or alpha forms. But it needs to be it needs to be rolled out at large scale and low cost and, and with high usability along with all the non-AI parts being rolled out with, 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 with the same uh, necessary buzzwords, right? Absolutely. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up there. We've come to the end of our time. I've got another call coming up here in a couple of minutes. Uh, just want to thank you, Ben, for another great uh, deep dive into all kinds of interesting things. And I'm absolutely excited by seeing uh, by being at the ability to watch the progress uh, in the directions that we have pointed to here today. Though I will alas report that uh, from a survey from the field says we're not there yet and have a long way to go. Yeah, we are not, we are not there yet. And I think, uh, you know, you're not only watching the progress. I think with, uh, with Game B and some other initiatives, you're, you're, you're helping drive the progress, right? And it's, it's, uh, it's very cool to be sort of a, uh, wrapped up in these dynamics and perhaps even to have some some agency in, in driving these dynamics forward. It's a bit very scary, but also a fascinating and exhilarating time to be involved in, in, this, in this part of uh, humanity. Indeed. So with that, we're going to wrap her up. Production services and audio editing by Jared Janes Consulting. Music by Tom Muller at modernspacemusic.com.